0: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain slash Gold. All right, folks, let's continue here on Note Seven, Paragraph Fifty Two. A partial exception may be made for a few passive, inward-looking groups such as the Amish, which have little effect on the wider society. Apart from these, some genuine small-scale communities do exist in America today. For instance, youth gangs and cults. (laughs) everyone regarding them as dangerous and so they are because the members of these groups are loyal primarily to one another rather than to the system hence the system cannot control them or take the gypsies the gypsies commonly get away with theft and fraud because their loyalties are such that they can always get other gypsies to give testimony that proves quote their innocence end quote obviously the system would be in serious trouble if too many people belonged to such groups. Some of the early 20th century Chinese thinkers who were concerned with modernizing China recognized the necessity breaking down small-scale social groups such as the family. According to Sun Yat-sen the Chinese people needed a new surge of patriotism which would lead to a transfer of loyalty from the family to the state. According to Li Huang, traditional attachments, particularly to the family, had to be abandoned if nationalism were to develop in China. Chester C. Tan, Chinese Political Thought in the 20th Century, page 125, page 297. First off, let me just tell you this. I've read a lot about this. Using the idea of nationalism to break apart the family. And I'm not going to get into this in depth right here, but if you look at the last so-called nationalist movement, which was Trump running for office in 2015 and 2016. How many families did you see get broken apart over Trump politics? All right, over Trump and Hillary. You saw a lot of families get broken up over that, didn't you? Over issues that now that I look back and I understand technocracy really had no effect or would have no effect On uh, freeing people from the system whatsoever. So you had this nationalist movement that split families apart. They were already weakened. And then I believe strategically three years later came COVID land, the high school theater production that further broke apart families. People stop seeing each other because they wouldn't wear masks, they wouldn't get the jab, or you're not a true believer. You believe in germ theory, I believe in terrain theory, whatever it may be. Just continuing to break apart families and break apart the small groups. And um, like I said, that's why I'm careful about what I post on Facebook, because some of my family members, although they are true believers, I get value out of them in other areas. Like, I don't want to distance myself from necessarily uh, an aunt or something, uh, because there are good things that I get from her, whether she wants to believe in the system or not. I don't have to interact with her on that level. All right. So that's a very important to look at folks. The other thing is, he's mentioning here uh, these Amish groups, the gangs and such, they're in to the system because they're small groups loyal to each other. Basically, they're these little sovereign nations and they commit crimes and fraud and such and they get away with it. I mean, they are outlaws, right? Because they are outside of the system, right? The law and order that many of us said we respected. Well, As I've said, you have to get to a point in your mind that you can't complain about tyranny if you're going to keep complying with tyranny. You have to start to think like an outlaw. I think that's very important as we move forward, but you don't have to call attention to yourself because you are the vast minority. If you form a half-Amish-style community, you don't need to go uh, publish that you're doing that all over the place and giving a big giant finger to the system. You just do it quietly, and the system may not bother you. They may not bother you. Be prepared to defend your community. Uh, But if the government wants to laser zap you, it's going to happen anyway, folks. goes on to say, uh, note 8, paragraph 56, Yes, we know that 19th century America had its problems and serious ones, but for the sake of brevity, we have to express ourselves in simplified terms. Just clarifying there. Uh, Note 9, paragraph 61. We leave aside the, quote, underclass, end quote. We are speaking of the mainstream. Uh, Note 10, paragraph 62. Some social scientists, educators... Uh, Mental health professionals and the like are doing their best to push the social drives into group one by trying to see to it that everyone has a satisfactory social life. All right, I'm not going to comment on that one. Note 11, paragraphs 63 and 82. Is the drive for endless material acquisition really an artificial creation of the advertising and marketing industry? Certainly, there is no innate human drive for material acquisition. There have been many cultures in which people have desired little material wealth beyond what was necessary to satisfy their basic physical needs, Australian Aborigines, traditional Mexican peasant culture, some African cultures. On the other hand, there have also been many pre-industrial cultures in which material acquisition has played an important role. So we can't claim that today's acquisition-oriented culture is exclusively a creation of the advertising and marketing industry, but it is clear that the advertising and marketing industry has had an important part in creating that culture. The big corporations that spend millions on advertising wouldn't be spending that kind of money without solid proof that they were getting, back, uh, getting it back in increased sales. One member of FC, that's this group, met a sales manager a couple of years ago who was frank enough to tell him, quote, our job is to make people buy things they don't want and don't need, end quote. Now, that's 100% true. Goes on to say, he then described how an untrained novice could present people with the facts about a product and make no sales at all, while a trained and experienced professional salesman would make lots of sales to the same people. This shows that people are manipulated into buying things they don't really want, and and you can't argue with that, folks. I mean, uh, I, I don't even necessarily know at this point that it's about companies, you know, gaining money. I think a lot of things are done for more nefarious purposes. But yes, I mean advertising and marketing in your face 24-7 has driven us into this consumeristic, materialistic society. Even go back to pre-World War II, uh, we were not really uh, this way, we were not a debt based society, we didn't have credit cards, we weren't buying beyond our means. All right, people may have strived to get a car or to get a television that was like a giant luxury. Of course, those were things that drove you for Drew, drove you further into the system. The car wasn't great to just drive around town, it was great to drive you into the system. And then we end up in the rat race with all the different smart devices and such today. So, what I think in my opinion, is that advertising and marketing of this materialistic consumeristic society was for the purpose of driving people further into a larger technological system. Uh, Note 12, paragraph 64, the problem of purposelessness seems to have become less serious during the last 15 years or so because people now feel less secure physically and economically than they did earlier. And the need for security provides them with a goal. But purposefulness, or purposelessness has been replaced by frustration over the difficulty of attaining security. We emphasize the problem of purposelessness because the liberals and leftists would wish to solve our social problems by having society guarantee everyone's security. But if that could be done, it would only bring back the problem of purposelessness. The real issue is not whether society provides well or poorly for people's security. The trouble is that people are dependent on the system for their security rather than having it on their own hands. This, by the way, is part of the reason why some people get worked up about the right to bear arms. Possession of a gun puts that aspect of their security in their own hands. And I think that, you can say, is also Uh, 100% accurate in his analysis of that particular subject there, folks. I mean, that, that makes total sense, right? So a lot of people want to rely on the state to provide their security. Just look at COVID land, the high school theater production. When other folks say, hey, I'm going off on my own. I'm going to use minerals. I'm going to use herbs. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to find these holistic doctors. I'm going to find... Doctors outside of the Rockefeller medical industrial complex because I want to put my health and my security in my own hands. I'm not relying on the system, but so many people just rely on the system and they're okay with that. Or at least they believe they are. Note 13, paragraph 66. Conservatives' efforts to decrease the amount of government regulation are of little benefit to the average man. For one thing, only a fraction of the regulations can be eliminated because most regulations are necessary. For another thing, most of the deregulation affects business rather than the average individual, so that its main effect is to take the power from the government and give it to the private corporations. What this means for the average man is that government interference in his life is replaced by interference from big corporations, which may be permitted, for example, to dump more chemicals that get into his water supply and give him cancer. The conservatives are just taking the average man for a sucker, exploiting his resentment of big government to promote the power of big business. And I think that um, cycle has actually already occurred. And, you know, we're witnessing, you know, the concentration of power in big tech and the Silicon Valley companies, but they are also extensions of the state. So I think if we were talking to this author today, this author would agree that big government and big business have formed together they're just one giant state at this point and they use the so-called private sector to continue to limit the freedoms of man especially since the private sector is what controls the majority of the technology that makes up the technocracy so he's right about this which is why I don't do it anymore, conservatives trying to, you know, fight government to eliminate regulation. As he said, the regulations are necessary. He may be talking about the point of the government doing things to protect nature, but that's not the case anymore. The regulations are necessary because they're necessary inside of the technological system that we find ourselves living in. The government has to regulate technocracy so the government can have a hand in actually controlling the system, and they don't lose power completely to the so-called private sector, which is why they eventually just merged into one giant conglomerate. Uh, Note 14, paragraph 73. When someone approves of the purpose for which propaganda is being used in a given case, he generally calls it, quote, education, end quote, or applies to it in some similar euphemism. But propaganda is propaganda regardless of the purpose for which it is used. That uh, is true as well. We'll eventually do shows on uh, propaganda versus education. Uh, It depends on how it's created, how it's used, its intention. Again, I I don't know if most people uh, who even practice this realize it, uh, but we can talk a little bit about that. Most people know about the Smith-Munt Act, uh, the history of that going back to 1948, around the time that the CIA was formed, and they weren't supposed to be propagandizing us on U.S. soil. And then all of a sudden, under the Obama administration, back in 2012, they repealed the Smith-Mutt Act, and then the CIA was allowed to propagandize us on U.S. soil. But even with that, folks, I, I, I just don't believe in that that much because I know the government was propagandizing us the entire time. Uh, Note 15, paragraph 83, we are not expressing approval or disapproval of the Panama invasion. We only use it to illustrate a point. All right, so again, the author is just clarifying some of the examples he gives, uh, which I like about this author. He's very forthcoming. Note 16, paragraph 95, when the American colonies were under British rule, there were fewer and less effective legal guarantees of freedom than there were after the American Constitution went into effect, yet there was more personal freedom in pre-industrial America, both before and after the War of Independence, than there was after the Industrial Revolution took hold in this country. Uh, I agree with that 100%. I mean, once we connected everything up through phone lines and eventually the Internet, you know, that was the end of freedom because the whole system is now connected. We quote from, quote, violence in America, historical And Comparative Perspectives, end quote, edited by Hugh Davis Graham and Ted Robert Gurr, Chapter 12, by Roger Lane, pages 476 and 478, quote, the progressive heightening of standards of priority and with it the increasing reliance on official law enforcement in 19th century America were common to the whole society. The chains in social behavior is so long-term and so widespread as to suggest a connection with the most fundamental of contemporary social processes, that of industrial urbanization itself. Massachusetts in 1835 had a population of some 660,940 uh, people, 81% rural, overwhelmingly pre-industrial and native-born. Its citizens were used to considerable personal freedom. Whether teamsters, farmers, or artisans, they were all accustomed to setting their own schedules, and the nature of their work made them physically independent of each other. Individual problems, sins, or even crimes were not generally cause for wider social concern. But the impact of the twin movements to the city and to the factory, both just gathering force in 1835 had a progressive effect on personal behavior throughout the 19th century and into the 20th. The factory demanded regulatory... Uh, um a uh, regularity of behavior, a life governed by obedience to the rhythms of clock and calendar, the demands of foreman and supervisor. In the city or town, the needs of living in closely packed neighborhoods inhibited many actions previously unobjectionable. Both blue and white collar employees in larger establishments were mutually dependent on their fellows as one man's work fit into another. So one man's business was no longer his own. The results of the new organization of life and work were apparent by 1900 when some 76% of the 2,805,346 inhabitants of Massachusetts were classified as urbanites, much violent or irregular behavior which had been tolerable in a casual independent society was no longer acceptable in the more formalized cooperative atmosphere of the later period. The move to the cities had, in short, produced a more uh, tractable, more socialized, more civilized generation than its predecessors and I think that's very very important I, that's why I wanted to share that with you and it really does show you there folks when you move from uh, sort of 1835 into the 1900 area what actually, Happen? How we move from this rural sort of rugged individualism into this idea of everyone works within the confines of the system under certain rules uh, and each of us has a part in the collective. I'm going to explore that more in future episodes because as we start to figure out if we wanted to separate from the system and build a half Amish style community, what that would look like. Uh, where we'd want to start from. And then eventually over 100, 200 years, it would grow into what we are today. And then our great, great grandkids could have a revolution and uh, convince everyone to destroy it and return to what we set up. But I think it's important that we explore history because it will show us, you know, where we went wrong. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is to Gold with the to Gold Standard right here on TV slash gold. and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to me on pain.tv slash gold. All right, let's continue, folks. Uh, note 17, paragraph 117. Apologists for the system are fond of citing cases in which elections have been decided by one or two votes, but such cases are rare. Well, look at what's, what's happened since 1995. How many uh, elections are now down to the wire where it's decided by uh, 17 votes. You know, I mean, they rig up this system. They create the WWE wrestling. They try to make it look like everyone is divided 50-50 when the majority actually don't even vote. Uh, they've withdrawn from the system. It says, note 18, paragraph 119, quote, Today, in technologically advanced lands, men live very similar lives in spite of uh, geographical religious and political differences the daily lives of a christian bank clerk in chicago a buddhist bank clerk in tokyo and a communist bank clerk in moscow are far more alike than the life of any one of them is like that of any single man who lived a thousand years ago these similarities are the result of a common technology and that's L. sprague de camp quote, the ancient engineers, end quote, Ballantine edition, page 17. The lives of the three Blankhurks are not identical. Ideology does have some effect, but all technological societies, in order to survive, must evolve along approximately the same trajectory. Very, 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 very important to understand that, folks. And that will tell you why all these different countries uh, throughout the West, all seem to have the same exact problems at the same exact time when each of them are different ages. You know, if you take our country, 250 years old, take some of the countries in uh, Europe that are 1,000 years old, we all seem to have the same problems. Well, because we're all under the technocracy. Uh, and they're all in this race for technology where it's not a race. It's like Silicon Valley and, you know, Unit 8200. Israel. They're, they're building all of it and everyone is just adopting it. And then as far as the financial economic system goes it's all controlled out of the Bank for International Settlements through the 190 uh, central banks that are out there. It's in every country. So they they're all they're all the same. We're all connected. It all has to work together. Um, so when they when they talk about, you know, the US or China's falling behind in CBDC behind the others and they need this race, it, it's not a race to beat each other. It's a race to keep up, to keep us all connected. Is just building out the infrastructure and the systems. Um, note 19, paragraph 123, just think an irresponsible genetic engineer might create a lot of terrorists. Uh, note 20, paragraph 124, uh, and, and let me just take a note on that. It said, just think an irresponsible genetic engineer might create a lot of terrorists. That's referring back to when we were talking about genetic engineering. It's not about a lot of terrorists Uh, But he's just pointing this out. The author's pointing this out. But in the end, it's going to be a lot of uh, robots, you know, cyborg robots. Everyone will be the same. Just basically flesh-covered robots walking around serving the system. Uh, Note 20, paragraph 124. For a further example of undesirable consequences of medical progress, suppose a reliable cure for cancer is discovered. Even if the treatment is too expensive to be available to any but the elite, it will greatly reduce their incentive to stop the escape of carcinogens into the environment. So there you go. So if the elite develop immortality for themselves, whether brain uploading uh, or loading nanobots into their bodies, whatever that may be, if they develop that, then they can continue to pollute the earth In real ways, both intentional and unintentional, uh, because it'll only kill us, the mere mortal humans. Um, They don't have to worry about it anymore. If they can run to their underground bunkers and live in an underground city, they can just nuke the planet and they'll be safe. Uh, I have no illusions they want to keep us around, so whatever they're doing, I do believe they do it intentionally. Note 21, paragraph 128. Since many people may find paradoxical the notion that a large number of good things can add up to a bad thing, we illustrate with an analogy. Suppose Mr. A is playing chess with Mr. B. Mr. C, a grandmaster, is looking over Mr. A's shoulder mr a of course wants to win his game so if mr c points out a good move for him to make he is doing mr a a favor but suppose now that mr c tells mr a how to make all of his moves in each particular instance he does mr a a favor by showing him his best move but by making all of his moves for him he spoils his game since there is not point, uh, no point in Mr. A's playing the game at all if someone else makes all his moves. The situation of modern man is analogous to that of Mr. A. The system makes an individual's life easier for him in innumerable ways, but in doing so, it deprives him of control over his own fate. Talk about that all the time, folks. You are trading perceived convenience, you know, Mr. C telling you how to play your game, uh, for your freedom, your liberty, and your human autonomy. And just think of it in a recent example of what we talked about here with the EEG earbuds. You're going to put those inside your head, and Mr. C, in this case would be artificial intelligence, is going to read your brain and tell you what to do. So it's going to control your entire life. You lose all autonomy. Uh, Note 22, paragraph 137. Here we are considering only the conflict of values within the mainstream. For the sake of simplicity, we leave out of the picture outsider values like the idea that wild nature is more important than human economic welfare. All right, well, you left me out of the equation then. It's okay. Note 23, paragraph 137, self-interest is not necessarily material self-interest. It can consist in fulfillment of some psychological need, for example, by promoting one's own ideology or religion. Uh, note 24, paragraph 139, a qualification, it is in the interest of the system to permit a certain prescribed degree of freedom in some areas. For example, economic freedom, with suitable limitations and restraints, has proved effective in promoting economic growth, but only planned Uh, circumscribed limited freedom is in the interest of the system. The individual must always be kept on a leash, even if the leash is sometimes long. See paragraphs 94 and 97. That is 100% true. And as you can see, even with economic freedom, they're going to tighten the leash with central bank digital currency because it's programmable and they're going to stop you From buying where they don't want you to buy, when they want you to buy, where they want you to buy, and from whom they want you to buy. So this proves the point, CBDC proves the point, that the author explaining what was going to happen back in 95, look at it 28 years later where it's going. The system continues to grow and the leash continues to get shorter. Note 25, paragraph 143. We don't mean to suggest that the efficiency or the potential for survival of a society has always been inversely proportional to the amount of pressure or discomfort to which the society subjects people. That certainly is not the case. There is good reason to believe that many primitive societies subjected people to less pressure than European society did, but European society proved far more efficient than any primitive society and always won out in conflicts with such societies because of the advantages conferred by technology. All right, folks, that's uh, self-explanatory. Let's look at uh, note 26, paragraph 147. If you think that more effective law enforcement is unequivocally good because it suppresses crime, then remember that crime is defined by the system is not necessarily what you would call crime. This is why I told you, do not comply with tyranny. Today, smoking marijuana is a crime. And in some places in the U.S., so is possession of an unregistered handgun. Tomorrow, possession of any firearm, registered or not, may be made a crime. And the same thing may happen with disapproved methods of child rearing, such as spanking. In some countries, expression of dissident political uh, opinions is a crime. And there is no certainty that this will happen. Never happened in the United States, well, pretty much all of it's happened, since no constitution or political system lasts forever. If a society needs a large, powerful law enforcement establishment, then there is something gravely wrong with that society. It must be subjecting people to severe pressures if so many refuse to follow the rules or follow them only because forced. Many societies in the past have gotten by with little or no formal law enforcement. 100% true, folks. The system makes up the rules of the game and you'll find a day when you don't agree with certain rules of the game and you're going to be pressured into the rules of the game. So if all of a sudden they got away with mandating the COVID vaccine for everyone in the country, all of a sudden now, are you going to chant with Donald Trump, law and order, law and order, law and order? No, I don't agree with that law. Well, folks, I don't agree with the majority of the laws. Be an outlaw. Live outside the system. Just don't broadcast it. Note 27, paragraph 151. To be sure, past societies have had means of influencing human behavior, but these have been primitive and of low effectiveness compared with the technological means that are now being developed. All right driving us further into the prison planet note 28 paragraph 152 however some psychologists have publicly expressed opinions indicating their contempt for human freedom and the mathematician claude shannon was quoted in omni august 1987 as saying quote i visualize a time when we will be uh to robots what dogs are to humans and i'm rooting for the machines end quote Well, there you go, and we've heard Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher to the World Economic Forum and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, uh, say this as well. He said he is not afraid of the robots uh, disobeying the humans, but the humans disobeying the robots. Uh, Note 29, paragraph 154. This is no science fiction. After writing paragraph 154, we came across an article in Scientific American, according to which scientists are actively developing techniques for identifying possible future criminals and for treating them by a combination of biological and psychological means. Some scientists advocate compulsory application of the treatment, which may be available in the near future. See Seeking the Criminal Element by W. Waite Gibbs, Scientific American, March 1995. Maybe you think this is okay because the treatment would be applied to those who might become violent criminals, but of course it won't stop there. Next, the treatment will be applied to those who might become drunk drivers. They endanger human life, too. Then perhaps to uh, people who spank their children. Then to environmentalists who sabotage logging equipment, eventually to anyone whose behavior is inconvenient for the system. And uh, I actually talked about this when we went over paragraph 154. Uh, They make the rules. They make the laws. Then all of a sudden, they want to genetically modify folks to fit into the system. And so they turn you into a docile cyborg. Uh, Note 30, paragraph 184. A further advantage of nature as a counter-ideal to technology is that, in many people, nature inspires the kind of... Uh, reverence that is associated with religion so that nature could perhaps be idealized on a religious basis it is true that many societies religion has served as a support and justification for the established order but it is also true that religion has often provided a basis for rebellion Thus, it may be useful to introduce a religious element into the rebellion against technology, the more so because Western society today has no strong religious foundation. Religion nowadays either is used as cheap and transparent support for narrow, short-sighted selfishness, some conservatives use it in this way, or even is cynically exploited to make easy money by many evangelicals or has degenerated into crude irrationalism, fundamentalist Protestant sects, cults, or is simply stagnant, Catholicism, mainline Protestantism. The nearest thing to a strong, widespread, dynamic religion that the West has seen in recent times has been the quasi-religion of leftism. But leftism today is fragmented and has no clear, uh, unified, inspiring goal. Thus, there is a religious vacuum in our society that could perhaps be filled by a religion focused on nature in opposition to technology. And I, I would say technology, technocracy, is actually the new religion now, folks. Uh, pe- people don't realize it. When I say it's a culture, it's become like a cult, like it is the religion now. Goes on to say, but it would be a mistake to try to concord artificially a religion to fill this role. Such an invented religion would probably be a failure. Take the Gaia religion, for example. Do its adherents really believe in it, or are they just play-acting? If they are just play-acting, the religion will be a flop in the end. It is probably best not to try to introduce religion into the conflict of nature versus technology unless you really believe in that religion yourself and find it arouses a deep, strong, genuine response in many other people. Now, I I will say this, folks. Uh, if you take science you know trust the science as the religion that could have been a test run because obviously you see that starting to crumble just as he brings up Gaia here as a religious example that crumbled so science as the religion may be crumbling technocracy I see as the religion because everyone's solution to the problems caused by technology is another technology that's why I think you can introduce the idea of wild nature as a religious concept because it is the answer to the problem's Caused by technology. So you say technology caused this problem. How about going back to nature? And the idea of nature, the real science, go take a hike and you'll see it in action. Go watch a woman who's pregnant and giving birth. You'll see it in action. That's the magic of life. I think the magic of life is the religion. This idea that there is a God, uh, a mother nature, a natural life. You don't have to tie that in, I don't believe, to Christianity uh, because. That is going to turn certain people off. But to move people towards this idea of a God, a creator, a mother nature, it's undeniable. It's all around us. And you will either have to accept that it's real and out there, or you're going to accept that someone like Dr. Fauci owns it and controls it because he is science. That's ridiculous, and I think most people you can convince to move away from men taking control of it. I'm not sitting here and telling you I am in charge of nature. I'm telling you that nature is so gorgeous and beautiful and it works in harmony when technology is taken out of the equation. Note 31, paragraph 189. Assuming that such a final push occurs, conceivably the industrial system might be eliminated in a somewhat gradual or piecemeal fashion. See paragraphs four. 167 and note 32 Uh, we've talked about that before Uh, note 32 paragraph 193 it is even conceivable remotely that the revolution might consist only of a massive change of attitudes toward technology resulting in a relatively gradual and painless disintegration of the industrial system but if this happens we'll be very lucky it's far more probably uh, probable that the transition to a non-technological society will be very difficult and full of conflicts and disasters. Well, this is why I think if people start to withdraw themselves, it won't be disastrous because it's not just thrown upon you. It's a calculated decision and a game plan that you created. Uh, Note 33, paragraph 195, the economic and technological structure of a society are far more important than its political structure in determining the way the average man lives. See paragraphs 95, 119, and notes 16 and 18. Note 34, paragraph 215, this statement refers to our particular brand of anarchism. A wide variety of social attitudes have been called anarchist, and it may be that Many who consider themselves anarchists would not accept our statement of paragraph 215. It should be noted, by the way, that there is a nonviolent anarchist movement whose members probably would not accept FC, that's his group, as anarchist, and certainly would not approve of FC's violent methods. Um, Note 35, paragraph 219, many leftists are motivated also by hostility, but the hostility probably results in part from a frustrated need for power. And finally, note 36, paragraph 229, it is important to understand that we mean someone who sympathizes with these movements as they exist today in our society, one who believes that women homosexuals, etc., should have equal rights is not necessarily a leftist. The feminist gay rights, et cetera, movements that exist in our society have the particular ideological tone that characterizes leftism. And if one believes, for example, that women should have equal rights, it does not necessarily follow that one must sympathize with the feminist movement as it exists today. And so I would define uh, equal rights differently than that of the so-called leftist feminist movement. Uh, Again, I've talked about this earlier. I don't think that equal means having to go down in the coal mine and compete with your husband. I don't think that's equal. I think the roles were equal when the man was hunting and the woman was raising the children. I would just take out the part where the man comes home and beats the wife. I think we can agree to that. I think we can get to that place, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that's a lot to absorb, folks. We are done with it. So tomorrow I will decide what direction we're going to go in, either an expose on this author or I'm going to show you cycle of civilizations before we uh, get back into the uh, technological stuff. Lots to cover there as well. We have some guests lined up. It's going to get very exciting. So as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for stopping by. Please leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts along with a comment. Think about joining pain.tv slash gold for less than $9 a month. And uh, think about leaving us a donation over at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. This way, I can afford to buy food. I don't have to take off in the show and go out into the wilderness and hunt a grizzly bear tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, I will see you for episode 142 tomorrow. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold.